Good morning. Money Talk with Graham has done a great job of setting up our messages during this series. Do you feel like you own your money? Wrong. Your money owns you. Ouch. That kind of hurts. This is a little, little truth uh, to that joke. Nothing like an eight-year-old breaking the ice for us here um, each week. Money is actually, it's a major source of stress in our our lives. When my first son, Blake, was born. Um, we went to a doctor's appointment for his last sonogram, and they realized in the sonogram that his stomach was measuring too small, his heart was working too hard, and so they admitted my wife Gina directly into the the hospital and started to induce to to have uh, Blake. Anyway, we ended up spending five nights in the hospital. God healed Blake, and and he was born healthy without any of the concerns that they had. Um, our nurse actually called our pediatrician and said, hey, uh, this baby is born and he's, he's fine. What should I do? Because they had him on call to help out. He said, give him to his parents. You know, he's like, that's great. Nothing. Don't do anything. But what follows a long hospital stay? Lots and lots of bills. Bills from the hospital, Bills from the different doctors that you see at the, at the hospital, some you didn't even know you saw. Uh, bills from the lab, bills from just all over the place. And it's stressful handling all the responsibility um, that surrounds our money. Money is one of those areas in life where you can see the consequences very clearly, very tangibly. right, Almost right away. I took out a loan for this car and now I'm reminded every month that I can't do some things because i got to pay for it each month, and it comes over and over again. And it's easy to see why a major goal in life is financial freedom. That's one of our major goals that, that we have. So what pops into your mind when you hear the words financial freedom? There's a handout in your program you might want to use to follow along with the message you can write just at the top. What pops into your mind when you hear the words financial freedom? Maybe it's a specific number that comes to mind that if I can just get that in my bank account, then I'll be set. I'll feel good about it. Or maybe it's just getting to the point where I'm not living paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. Or maybe financial freedom looks like I, I don't have to work anymore. It looks like retirement. Whenever I think about financial freedom, that's where my mind goes. My mind goes towards things like that. But when I think about those things too long, I start to get a little tight in my chest, get anxious about, I don't think I'm going to ever make it there. I don't think I'm going to hit that number that I want to hit or get hit the retirement goal that I want to get to. I have enough experience in life where bills come up. Hospital stays happen, and it derails me from the goals that I'm trying to pursue. Well, the Bible gives us a ton of help in the area of money. Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven and hell, which is amazing because Jesus' purpose, he came to seek and save the lost, and he talked more about money than heaven and hell. And the Bible shows us that to gain financial peace, It shows us how to gain financial peace in a way that has nothing to do with our bank accounts, nothing to do with our retirement account, or getting to a spot where we can retire. And what it has to deal with is our heart. It starts with our hearts. 
Matthew 6, 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This verse speaks to the reality that we all know our heart is pulled towards the things that we spend money on. And the way that the Bible talks about the heart is extremely important for us. It's not just this physical heart that's keeping us alive right right now, but the heart is our decision-making core. That's how the Bible talks about the heart. And our behavior flows out of our heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Life is flowing out of our heart. We've got to be careful what we allow into our heart is what this verse is talking about. And then it describes the wellspring of life. Life is just coming out of what's inside of our heart. And again, it's not the physical heart. It's our decision-making core. And so I want to share a diagram with you that's been extremely helpful for me um, over the years. And I think it will be helpful for you this morning. And it, it's a heart diagram. And it explains what is going on inside of our heart that produces the behavior that we have. And so it starts with our desires. We have both positive and negative desires in our heart. We're a mixed bag of desires, is how the Bible describes us. Sometimes we have good desires, sometimes we have bad desires, not good desires. My family, we moved last week, and um, in the middle of moving, uh, different family members got sick. It was just, it was quite the weekend, and I have just been exhausted this whole week. Um, I yeah, I don't. I think that's just the appropriate way to say it. And so I've had all these sorts of desires this week. Desires not to really work hard. I didn't. I didn't. I just push it off. I can do it later. Or um, at home, I get home and I just just give me some space. I have four kids, and um, I'm like, just just give me a little space here. That's been my desire. Is just to push people away this whole week. Not very honorable desires. That I have had. And so we have desires where, hey, we want to spend time with our kids. We know they're important. But then also at the same time, just just give me a little space. So we're a mixed bag of these desires. And these desires inside our heart get filtered through our perspective and values. That's the next part of this diagram. Our perspective is how we view life. It's how we think life really works. When push comes to shove... This is how I think life works. What are we willing to trust as we make decisions? Our values are how we rank different areas in life. How do we rank our status, that, what people think about us, or our personal goals versus our family, or our relationship with God or the church? Or how, Where do all these things fall in line? As our desires are filtered through, how we think life works and our ranking system outcomes our behavior. That's the last part of the diagram there. Everything that we do flows out of the way that we think life works and our values ranking, ranking system. Perspective plus values equals behavior. So the financial decisions that we make flow from what we believe to be true. And we need to make sure 
that what we believe to be true is actually true, is actually right. And so we're going to take a look at the Bible's perspective on money. And we're going to take a look at how we can experience financial freedom today if we truly believe what it says. One of the best perspectives on money and our role and, and as it relates to possessions is found in First Chronicles 29. This picks up at the end of King David's rule over the people of Israel. And God granted David many victories in battle. So throughout David's life, he's winning these battles in life. Don't mind me. I got a little cord problem up here. Um, all right. There we go. So God granted David many victories in battle in his life. And as he's winning these battles, he's amassing this massive fortune. And what we see in First Chronicles 29 is that God has told David to build a temple to him. And so King David has been using this massive fortune that he's built up to supply the gold and the silver and the bronze and the iron to make this temple for God. And they're at a point in the, the project where they, they don't have enough. They need more. There's not enough to, to finish it. So King David, here he says to the people of Israel, he says, I, I, we need your help. We need you guys to give to finish out this project. And an amazing thing happens as he calls on the people to give. The people gave freely. They're bringing their prized possessions, their gold, their iron, the bronze, <clears throat> their silver. They're bringing their prized possessions to finish out this temple for God. And look at their reaction as they have given. Very opposite of what I would naturally go towards. It says in First Chronicles 29.9, Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. For with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Think about that. They've just given large sums of their earthly possessions, and they're rejoicing. That's financial freedom right there. To be able to give away all this wealth that you've stored up and then rejoice about it, not worrying about how much I have left, but excited that God's purpose is being fulfilled through the, the possessions that I have, that have just been given. In the next passage, David goes into this prayer in front of all these people who are rejoicing. He goes into a prayer of, of, that really explains the perspective and values of the people. Because if we're going to be able to have that kind of freedom, then it helps to know what's this perspective that they have on money that allows them to give freely and then be excited about it. And so what we see is some key perspective that we can learn for our financial, for our finances today. Financial freedom comes as we believe God is the creator and head of all. 
David prays in verse 11. He says, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Here we see David acknowledging that God is the creator. He's the ruler of all. This perspective turns out to be huge when it comes to our money. This is the same thing that we see in the very first verse in the Bible. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, there's a false narrative in our culture about Christians' view of God creating the universe. It makes it seem like Christians are scared of science and what might come out of it. The narrative goes something like, Christians' view of God, that God created the universe, it's fantasy. Christians are scared of the facts that are found in science and evolution. This cannot be further from the truth. Christians aren't scared of science. In fact, as science continues to develop and continues to explore and dig deeper into the issues, the facts become more and more clear that there's a creator behind it all. Darwin's theory of evolution more and more is, is more and more unlikely the more and more science digs into it. Cells are not as simple as they were when he created his theory. And some of the major experiments that prove evolution have been debunked recently, or some not so recently. In the fossil record, when one of the big things was the fossil record, when Darwin came out with his theory, and the thought was, well, we haven't discovered the fossils yet, but we will in the future as we explore. And more and more and more, as they explore and dig up bones, the fossil record is not there to support Darwin's theory. We can go on and on and on about the different ways that science is actually pointing towards intelligent design. But don't take my word for it. If you have genuine questions, whether God is really the creator, search them out. Look at both sides of the issues and decide what is truth. God is real. What we're talking about is real. And I'm confident that you're going you're gonna to end up, if you really are open to discovering the truth, you will end up at the Bible is true, God is the creator. There's a book on the table in the back and on the side here um, called The Case for Faith. This is a free gift from CID to anybody who would, would like it this morning, if you have any questions that you're thinking about. It's written by a former atheist journal journalist. Atheist journalist, that's hard to say. Um, It's written by a former atheist journalist um, who set out to see if the Bible really was true um, When after his wife became a Christian. After he looked at the evidence um, from his journalistic background, uh, he realized that the historical evidence did point towards the truth and the facts in the Bible. Then after he did that, he, he wrote this book. Uh, the case for faith, and he calls it answering the big eight, big eight objections uh, to God and the Bible. And so I really encourage you to uh, pick that up if, if at all, you're at all interested in looking into that. The more we get answers to our questions, the stronger our faith will be. And the more we will trust God 
with our life and find the blessing that comes from living life God's way. So God as the creator and ruler is a key perspective to hold true when thinking about our finances. I like watching the show The Shark Tank. Um, I was a business major in college, and uh, it, it just fascinates me. Premises of the show, if you haven't seen it, is there's four or five investors, and somebody comes in with a business idea or a product uh, idea, and they, they present it to the investors, why they should give their money to them to help them build this product or this business idea. And one of the questions that always comes up in the show is, do you have a patent for that product or that idea? The sharks are trying to figure out if the person owns the idea that they're presenting. Do they have legal standing to be able to do what, what a founder or creator or owner of something can do? Because when you own something, there's legal rights to it. They can decide what you what can be done with the product. They can stop others from trying to duplicate the product. They can license it so that other people can use the product and pay them for using it. And the list goes on and on and on. This just makes sense. If we create something, we should be able to profit from it. And so the perspective that we gain from the Bible is that God is the creator, and he's the ruler of the heavens and the earth. And so he has the right to everything that's on earth. And look what else we learn from David's prayer about the perspective that those people had. Financial freedom comes as we believe everything comes from God. First Chronicles 29.12 says, Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Believing that riches and honor come from God takes a lot of the pressure off of us. He's the one who is deciding how much money we have in our possession. He's the one who decides if we have more or if we have less. And he can be trusted. When we don't believe God, that riches and honor are flowing from God, then it's on us. It's all on us to make it happen. But this gives us the freedom to trust God that he will take care of us in our financial position. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's the mindset that really helps us to gain some financial freedom, that God will take care of us in regardless of our finance, the financial position we find ourselves in. And King David continues on to more clearly spell out the perspective that these people had. And they believe that God owns it all. First Chronicles 29.14 says, But who am I and what is my people? that we should be able thus to offer willingly. For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. Wow, this statement here. It's an incredible statement of reality and faith, all mixed together. David is praying back to God 
that God, how are we to take credit for what we've given to the temple? It was all yours anyway. A hundred percent of what we had was yours from the start, and we're just giving it, it back to you to accomplish your purposes. And that's where the real financial freedom comes in. When we realize that it's God's money and we are the stewards. Now, steward is a word that we don't use very often, except for maybe if you're on an airplane, but that's not the type of steward we're talking about. Steward is somebody who manages or looks after another's property. God is the owner. We are the stewards. So when the financial pressure hits and we start to become anxious, we need to filter those anxious desires and thoughts through the perspective that we are stewards and we can go to the owner and ask him for help. Because a stewardship mentality leads to a financial freedom reality. Now, we looked at the heart earlier. And knowledge by itself is not the end goal here. Uh, There's a certain type of behavior that follows somebody who has the stewardship mentality. Because we know that just having the knowledge that God is the owner isn't going to change anything unless we actually believe it and start to behave in a way that's in line with the reality that God owns it all. When we just have knowledge and don't put it into action, nothing happens. Nothing changes. Um, Again, we moved last week. And I had to take some beds down at our house and build them um, in the, we're living with my parents for a little while while we're uh, looking for a house. And I took the boys' beds down. And the boys' beds, they have these loft beds. And they have poles in the middle of the loft. That's what holds the the mattress. First of all, I tried to take it down with keeping it all together, and that didn't work. Poles were flying everywhere. It it wasn't good. Um, But anyway, that's beside the point that I'm trying to make here. Um, So we we took the beds down, took them to the new house, and all the parts are just strung out all over their, their new bedroom. Well, I knew how to put it together. I'd put it together before, and I had just taken it apart, however poorly I took it apart, but I had just taken it apart, so I knew what to do. So, but it would be foolish to just sit there and say, I, I, know, how to, I know how to put that bed together. And then the boys come over, and they try to sleep in their room. I know how to do that. Did you know that? They're like, yeah, Dad, but we're sleeping on top of poles instead of our mattresses. Just the knowledge of how to put the beds together doesn't put the beds together. And so as we're looking at our heart, just the knowledge, the perspective that God is owner, we have to filter that down into our actions. Just because we say we think he's the owner doesn't mean we're actually living that out. And so let's take a quick look at the stewardship mentality and what that looks like behaviorally. So a stewardship mentality leads us to invest in eternal things first. Deuteronomy 18.4 says, The first fruits of your grain, of your wine, 
um, and of your oil, and the first fleece of your sheep you shall give him. Him is God. And so what we see here is we're, we're to give the first to God. And then in Leviticus 27.30, it says, Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Now, tithe there literally means tenth. And so what we're seeing here is that we're to give the first tenth to, to God, to the church. A steward's mentality takes that seriously. They want to please their master. And so they put that into practice. And then in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, we see, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we see beyond just the first tenth, God wants us to invest our resources in eternal things. That's the perspective behind our finances, is to not just store up things on earth. Yes, we need to, but to invest in eternal things. And the Bible also tells us that a stewardship mentality leads us to take care of our needs. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide, provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now here, what it's talking about, it's not making Christians better than unbelievers. That's, that's not what's happening here. But what it's talking about is we're seeing the importance of handling our responsibilities well. Worse than an unbeliever, it's just equating that. If we're not going to take care of our own family, then we might as well just say we don't believe that Jesus is Lord, that he's in charge of our life. And so we see that the steward's responsibility to take care of the needs for his immediate family is very important. It's very important here. Another part of the stewardship mentality, it leads us to fulfill our commitments. Matthew 5:37 says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This means that when we commit to pay something, we, we pay it. If we said yes, then we, we do yes. And then a stewardship mentality also leads us to enjoy what God has given us. God is a good God. He wants us to enjoy life. And we see in 1 Timothy 6, 17, it says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God wants us to enjoy what he's given us, and he's, he's good. He wants us to take care of us and, and to enjoy it. A stewardship mentality leads to a financial freedom reality. It helps us to keep things in the right order. God is the owner. Give to him first. Then we continue to invest our possessions in eternal things while taking care of the needs of ourselves, our family members, um, and enjoying what God has provided for us. Now, this mentality, it's a huge shift. 
from our normal mentality. We usually think the question, okay, what should I spend my money on today? That's the question that, that usually runs through my mind. What should I spend my money on today? Or if I'm going to include God into the discussion, God, what should I spend my money on today? But that's the perspective and values that leads to extreme financial pressure on us. Regardless of what the number is in the bank account, if it's my money, I'm always worried I'm going to lose it. But if my hope is in the fact that God's the owner and he's going to take care of me, regardless of the amount of money I have in my bank account, then I can look to him and I can ask God the question, Lord, how do you want me to invest your money today? might seem like just semantics, but it's a key perspective shift in recognizing that God is the owner and we are the stewards. That question is not asked lightly. It takes a lot of faith to ask that question. But when we do, and as we recognize God as the owner, we can invest in eternal things, and we're always going to be taken care of like God promises to do. I'd like to point out a couple next steps that you might want to take in response to the message today. There's, they're listed on your handout in your program. Um, but here's a couple next steps you might want to take. One is to memorize 1 Chronicles 29.12, uh, just to rem- help us remember where our possessions came from. Both riches and honor <clears throat> come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand, it is to make great and to give strength to all. Um, Another next step is ask God this week, how do you want me to spend your money today? Ask God what he wants us to invest our money in. This question helps us to remember to check our finances to make sure that we're handling things in the right order. Give to God first. Take care of your responsibilities. Fulfill your commitments that you've made. Enjoy what he has provided for you. Our finances can be unforgiving. And when we get one of these things out of order, it can just wreak havoc on our life. And then the last next step you might want to take in response to the message is sign up for our Get Traction with Your Money workshop. Um, I really hope that, that everybody can make it to this workshop. These workshops are, are really a, can be a key part of somebody's spiritual growth. Um, this workshop is going to be extremely practical, filled with lots of ways to put into practice what the Bible says about finances. We want to be able to do what the Bible says so that we can experience the blessing that God wants as to have as we live life his way. It's going to be led by two businessmen um, that have been a part of Church in the Valley for a while. They, they don't just know, um, but they actually practice um, what, what the Bible says about money. So there's a flyer in your program. You can um, write on the back of your connection card and just say money workshop if you'd like more information about it. Or you can take out your phone and go to churchinthevalley.com slash money and you can sign up um, for that workshop right now. This workshop will help us to remember the key perspective that a stewardship mentality leads to a financial freedom reality. Would you pray with me as we continue to worship? God, we thank you so much that we can 
trust that you are owner and that you will take care of us. That's not a, an easy thing to do, to give up control that way. But if you are really the Lord of our lives, then that means in every area. And so we ask that you would um, help us to have that perspective and that it would be real and that it would result in behavior financially that will bless us and our families and um, that will help us to really experiencing, experience the blessing that you want on our lives. We ask for your help, Lord. Give us the faith to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.